pressures of life can be overwhelming. Stressful circumstances cause us to sin. While feeling stress is not a sin, how we react to it can be. Everyone has been on the receiving and giving end of ungrateful behavior, expressing their feelings in ungodly ways. We recognize the damage it can do, but our sinful nature still often wins. Yet in a world that seems to be out of control, God's grace, even under pressure, is sufficient and unlimited. No one suffered more pressure than our Savior, Jesus Christ. But he always responded graciously and lovingly, even as he hung on the cross, suffering for our sins. Even as people jeered at him and as the world turned from him, Jesus remained graceful. He is our source of perfect, redemptive grace. Today, we'll talk about God's grace, the stress we all live with, and the seven last words of Christ from the cross— as we discuss Reverend Christopher Kennedy's new book, Grace Under Pressure, Responding Faithfully to Stress. Reverend Kennedy is the senior pastor at Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. This is Kay Meyer, president and host of Family Shield Ministries. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Reverend Kennedy, for being my guest today on Family Shield. Thank you for having me, Kay. I'm Honored and glad to have a conversation with you. Well, I am too, and I loved your new book. Tell our listeners why you wrote this book. Well, the book is, uh, it came out of a sermon series that was preached here at my congregation, a Lenten sermon series on the seven words of Jesus, and people responded very positively to it. They said it was very impactful for them, and so I sent the proposal to Concordia publishing house about making it into a book, and uh, they were interested in that. Um, and on a couple ends, one is, you know, stress is a very real thing that we all deal with, and so that's a topic that is helpful to address. And then the words of Christ, uh, very powerful for us. And so putting those two concepts together, the stress and the words of Christ, to me was a message I really wanted to get out there and hopefully would, would be a benefit to people. Yes, it is. It is. I've read the book. I'm excited to interview you today on it. So at the beginning, you talk about ungracefulness. Why does this happen even to committed Christians? How can the Lord help us break the cycle of ungraceful words and actions? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a tough question. I would say uh, ungracefulness. Why does this happen even to Christians? Um Christians are sinners, just like anybody else, and so whenever we respond ungracefully, and and I think of things like, you know, blowing up at people instead of keeping our cool, uh, panicking, uh, treating people unkindly, especially when we're under pressure, you know, Christians can do that just like anybody because we're sinful, and when our sinful nature collides with difficult circumstances, sometimes that just brings out the worst in us. And so our hope as Christians is that as we walk with Jesus and as we're filled with the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit would would help us to overcome those sinful tendencies and help us to maintain our cool and to treat others with grace, even when it takes a lot of restraint to do so. 
Very good. Yes, absolutely. That is our prayer. That is great. So let's talk about grace. In your book, you share different types of grace. What are they? So four different types of grace that, as I was reading about grace, it seemed like it was used in a lot of different ways and different contexts. And so some different ways that we see it in Scripture. Uh, One I would call common grace, and that is the gifts that God gives to all people. Uh, in the Gospels, it says he causes his his uh, rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. And so there are certain things as a part of creation that everybody gets, and that's all a gift from God. Uh, saving grace would be another way that grace is used when we talk about salvation that is ours in Jesus, forgiveness and eternal life, saved by grace through faith. Another kind of grace that the Scripture talks about is sanctifying grace, that the Spirit works in us to produce spiritual fruit and to help us live in godly ways, so He sanctifies us. And then another kind is what I call sustaining grace, which is God holding us together so that we can withstand our trials. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So He sustains us, He holds us together in the hard times. Wonderful. That's great. And we could continue talking about that, but I wanted to spend the majority of our time today on part two of your book, Grace from the Cross. In that part of your book, you discuss the seven last words of Christ from the cross, but focused on the stress that he was under and how he continued to give grace. So let's discuss them. Do you have some introductory thought you want to share before we go into each of the seven? We won't, we may not even have time for all of them, but I hope we do. Yeah. You know, I, I tried to categorize the seven words from the cross and see if I saw a flow or a pattern in them. And, and one thing I noticed is that I would say the first three statements have to do a lot with Jesus being very graceful toward other people while he was on the cross. So that's one through three. The fourth and fifth statements, I feel really magnified the suffering that he's under on the cross. And then the last two statements, number six and seven, I think are about having a graceful ending. And so to me, there was that flow happening in the words from the cross. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Some of our listeners may be very familiar with these and some may not. So we'll see what we can do and hopefully help our listeners understand more about Jesus as we talk about his last words from the cross. So often people believe that uh, one of his first words he said from the cross was, Father, forgive them. Um, Who are the they, are them, that he's talking about when he says, Father, forgive them? Who are they? Yeah, and and there's really not an explanation in the scripture as to who that refers to, but I certainly can imagine putting different people there as as Jesus reference. Uh, he could be saying, Father, forgive the ones who are killing me, the executioners, the soldiers. He could say, Father, forgive them, the crowd who are endorsing and supporting this, the ones who called out for him to be crucified. Forgive the religious leaders. They had no idea. They were expecting a Messiah but they didn't think it was Jesus, and so they had no clue that they were killing the one sent from God. Or he could be referring to all of humanity, because all of us in our ignorance, we have no idea what we're doing sometimes, and so we sin. You bet, you bet. 
spiritual ignorance. The last part of that, it's, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And and certainly, and I know you said this, it's also us. Every person that has ever lived was responsible because Jesus suffered and died on the cross for all of us. Uh, but a lot of times people don't think about that. They think it was only the soldiers or the people that were uh, putting the nails into his hands and feet. Right. So while it was uh, the hands of people who drove those nails into his hands and feet, it was really my sins and your sins and the sins of the world that were the reason for Jesus' crucifixion. And so uh, all of us bear responsibility for that, and all of us can be thankful that Christ died for our sins. Yeah. So how was Jesus an intercessor as he shared those words? It's interesting. So his words are, Father, forgive them, versus saying, I forgive all of you for your sins. Uh, And there are places when Jesus directly forgave people in Scripture, and that upset the religious leaders. Who is this man who forgives sins? But there are also times when Jesus would pray for someone else's forgiveness. So, you know, Peter, I have prayed for you. Um, He prayed for the believers. He prayed for the world on the night of his betrayal. So there were times when Jesus was an intercessor, meaning that he was speaking a good word to the Father on behalf of others. And Scripture talks about that now. Jesus, who's ascended to the right hand of the Father, what's he doing? He's interceding for us. He's our advocate. He speaks a good word in our defense. And so on the cross, that was the approach that Jesus took as well in those opening words, interceding, speaking on behalf of those who had sinned. Mm, very good, very good. So the, the second uh, words of Christ from the cross uh, is when he said, you will be with me in paradise to one of the thieves that was on next to him when he was on the cross. Let's talk for a minute about those two thieves and then why Jesus said, you will be be with me in paradise to one of them. Mm -hmm. So we're told that at first, both of the thieves were insulting Jesus, but then one of them had a change of heart and asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus gave him the promise of eternal life, which to me is one of the most powerful stories in all of Scripture, that this man who admitted that he deserved to be crucified, he said that he and the other thieves got what they deserved, uh, yet at the very end, by faith alone, by grace alone, the gates of paradise were open to him. Yeah, it's a wonderful uh, message of God's grace, Mm -hmm. that thief didn't do anything except places faith in Christ. And I remember using it with a lady that I was visiting with that had never heard that we were saved by faith alone on a telephone conversation. And she, you know, typically I shared, you know, two or three verses that I always share about we're saved by faith alone and what that means. Um, But she wanted to know more verses. And one of them that we talked about was the thief on the cross. Uh, He hadn't done a lot of good works for Christ, and yet God, uh, Jesus promised him 
uh, paradise and heaven. And that is such good news. Um, so he he really, that, that thief really had a miracle of conversion, did he not? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And conversion is always a miracle. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we can do. We can't turn ourselves toward God, but it takes God's gracious intervention to change our hearts and to turn us to him in faith. So uh, absolutely, a miracle, an act of God to bring him to faith, just as it is an act of God to bring any of us to faith. Yes. You also talk about the the problem of fair. You know, some people might say, well, was that fair? One thief got to go to heaven and the other one didn't. Uh, talk a little bit about fair. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I included in the book was by a theologian named Fulton Sheen, and It said something to the effect of, uh, the thief died a thief because he stole paradise. And I just love that idea that it was not fair. And based on his works, he should not have gone to heaven. Uh, But salvation is not uh, weighing our good deeds against our bad deeds. It's, It's not a battle between the good and the bad in us. It's a battle between Christ and everything that opposes him. And so, in the end... It's not about fair. I'm glad that I'm glad that God is more than fair, better than fair with me. Now we want fairness and justice in our world, but when it comes to the gift of eternal life, I'm glad that God doesn't treat me as I deserve. He gives me better than I deserve through faith in Christ. You bet. You bet. Well, I want to make a few announcements and then we'll come back and continue discussing the words of Christ from the cross and uh, Reverend Christopher Kennedy's newest book, Grace Under Pressure. Family Shield Ministries is composed of Christians who care about families and the gospel, transforming lives now and for eternity. The Family Shield radio program is aired on more than 50 radio stations throughout the United States and on many podcast platforms. We also coordinate other educational and outreach services that serve individuals and their families. Thanks for listening. This week, we're giving away the booklet, Stressed But Connected. To receive a copy, call the Family Shield Response Center, 1-877-250-8416 or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. We encourage listeners to also sign up to receive Family Shield's complimentary email newsletter. Again, email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Please consider participating in Family Shield Ministries' Generations Legacy Program and plan to leave a gift to help future generations come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. If you have already put Family Shield into your will or estate, let us know so we can recognize you. Did you know you can give an estate gift without changing your will or trust and that you can turn a life insurance policy over to the ministry that you no longer need? You might also consider a transfer from your IRA if you are 70 and a half years of age or older. Your prayers and support allow Family Shield Ministries to continue to reach and equip individuals and their families for Christ. Your support makes our work in the ripe and plentiful harvest possible. Thank you. How can our listeners, Reverend Kennedy, obtain your book? 
Uh, it's available online through cph.org as well as on Amazon, and those would be two uh, quick and easy places you can go to get it. Wonderful. I also want to let our listeners know that we will put your book on our recommended books on our website, and that stays there. All our authors that we've ever interviewed over the last, since we started uh, the podcast over the last five or so years, are listed there. And um, we'll also put it on our our homepage uh, for a while, and uh, we hope that everyone will have an opportunity to find that. Again, cph.org or Amazon. All right. Very good. Well, I want to continue discussing your part two. Um, Let's see. The next words of Christ from the cross were when he spoke to his mother and John, behold your son, behold your mother. Um, Now, sometimes people might say, why John? Why not Jesus' brothers? Mm. Great question. We don't know a whole lot about Jesus' family. Um, we don't know how much his brothers may have believed or not believed at that time. What we do know about John is that John was Jesus' best friend, mm-hmm. and that even closer than family ties, John and Mary had a very strong spiritual tie in that they both had a strong faith in Jesus, and so they were you might say, equally yoked in that regard, and providing for Mary's spiritual needs would have been very important to Jesus, and he knew that John would be able to encourage her in that way, as well as support her in her physical and material needs. Wonderful. And one other thing you had in your book, what was the significance of Mary still standing by the cross? I love that. I had never thought about that. Yeah, that's just one of those words that that jumped off the page that she was standing next to the cross. So in other words, she hadn't crumbled. She wasn't face down in despair. She was standing. And it reminds me of the great armor of God passage to be able to take mm-hmm. your stand against the devil and his schemes. And so there's this this image of strength, that in the strength of God, she was still standing, even in that most agonizing of moments. Wonderful. So the next words, and this this may not have been in the order that it was during Jesus' time, but it's what, you know, the order that you have in your book and the order that most people usually include them. Where Jesus says, and this one I think a lot of times people don't always understand, he says, why have you forsaken me? And you have several theories in your book. Uh, I uh, have, have always thought the reason was number one, your theory one. But talk a little bit about why Jesus said or why people think they that he said, why have you forsaken me? Number sure. one, you talk about Jesus taking on the sins of the world. Yeah. So the, the three theories that I came across in, in studying these words, what is Jesus trying to communicate with these words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first theory is that uh, Jesus was literally abandoned in that moment, that God the Father had cut off all fellowship with his Son, and that Christ was truly, in every sense, separated from the Father. second theory is that God is omnipresent, and so it's not possible for him to be disconnected from anything, and so especially from his his one and only Son, that there's this unity of, of the Godhead, 
And so the second theory is that Jesus was not literally abandoned by the Father, but that he felt that way, just as we are never forsaken by God, but we may feel that way at times. And then the third theory is that Jesus' words are not saying one way or the other whether he was literally abandoned by God or not, but that really his words are to draw people's attention to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, I'd say along with Isaiah 53, the clearest picture of Christ in the Old Testament, especially his suffering. And Psalm 22 begins with those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so some people even think that Jesus quoted the whole psalm while he was on the cross. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence for that. Mm -hmm. But he may have been bringing that to mind. Psalm 22 includes things like, They pierced my hands and feet, they divided my garments. And it ends with this great promise that the nations will know God. So he may have been drawing people's attention to that psalm. Now, is that one of the prophecies of the Old Testament, or is it just something that's similar? I mean, is it considered one of the prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament? Absolutely. As we look at the way that Jesus' life played out and his suffering, and we compare it to a passage like Psalm 22, we see that very clearly the Holy Spirit was laying the groundwork for people to recognize in Jesus what had been stated in the Old Testament. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to keep going because I know our time's going to fly by here. The next words of Christ from the cross, I thirst. Talk about spiritual thirst. Yeah, I think of spiritual dehydration even, that uh, we can find ourselves irritable and grouchy and unpleasant to be around and it's because we're not spiritually healthy in those moments. And so there are those times when we don't see it coming, but it's happening. And then there are other times when we just realize, I am just dry on the inside. And we feel that spiritually we're, we're parched and we're in a bad place. And so we can feel that spiritual thirst and we can really thirst for some refreshment, some encouragement, some hope. And uh, we can feel that very deep in our being. Hmm. Now, you mentioned um, that once before Jesus had turned down the offer of a drink. Tell us why. I found that fascinating, too. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So uh, on the way, carrying the cross, Jesus was offered a drink of wine, and he turned it down. And and that wine, we believe, would have extended his suffering. Excuse me, it would have... It would have abbreviated his suffering, uh, and he wanted to uh, just go ahead and go all the way with it and, and not take any shortcuts, and so he he turned that down. Mm-hmm. But he took this one, and at that time, he had already been on the cross for around six hours. Is that correct? Yeah, because it says after this is when he said it is finished, mm-hmm. and so we're getting to the very end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he maybe wanted a little bit of something in his uh, throat so that he could say that it is finished loud enough that everyone could hear it. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting idea that there was a practical reason why he he did accept the drink at this time to get those last words out. And those words, it is finished, really confuse a lot of people. I know my husband always says, I never understood what those words meant when I was a teenager being confirmed. Um, But now he does. Tell our listeners what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. 
it is Finnish, so Greek word to telestai, and it doesn't mean, you know, I'm fed up, I'm done with this, I give up. It wasn't a negative word, it was more a word of triumph. So this is the word that would be spoken, to use some modern analogies, of when you, you know, you finish the final assignment and turn it in to complete your college requirements or you paid down your mortgage. You just made the last payment. Ah, oh, it is finished. I'm out from underneath that. You know, you finished running a race. It is finished. So it was a cry of triumph. Now, I I don't remember this, but uh, did he speak that very loudly? There was something he said on the cross that he spoke. They said he spoke loudly. Was this the time? Well, I know, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me was a loud cry. And I mm. believe that that this one as well, uh, certainly loud enough that, that the people could hear it and record it. Right, right, yes, yeah. yes. Very good, good. Uh, and then um, the the last words from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, from Luke twenty three forty six. 46. Why God's hands? Why do you think he said that? Yeah, in Scripture, when you see the, the use of hand and God's hands, uh, that signifies strength and power. And so Jesus was entrusting himself into the powerful hands of his Father in that moment. Okay, very good. And um, and so those hands uh, signaled, you said, strength and power. God's hands represented his sovereign power. A closing thought as we conclude the program. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the words of Christ, they come from all four Gospels. And I would encourage our listeners... Uh, even more than reading my book, to read the words of Scripture and to read the the narratives of Jesus' crucifixion and and let God's Word speak to you. So if you really want to learn the seven words of Christ, your first place would be the pages of the four Gospels. Okay, very good. Again, my guest is Reverend Christopher Kennedy. His book is Grace Under Pressure, Responding Faithfully to Stress. And there's not many places that was more stressful for Jesus than when he was on the cross suffering for your sins and my sins. So place your faith in Christ and grow in his word. Uh, This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield Ministries. Our website to learn more is www.com familyshieldministries.org. This week, again, you can get our booklet, Stressed But Connected. To receive a copy, call the Family Shield Response Center, 1-877-250-8416. Again, this is Kay Meyer, President of Family Shield Ministries. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in his word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Thank you.